Hello, people of the internet. Welcome to Developer SideQuests, the podcast, the show that reminds us that we're all leveling up in our own special way. I'm your party leader, Al Rodriguez, and today we're chatting with another player character, Jared Porsonalek. Jared Porsonalek is a warlock alchemist who bides his time by, wi- by mixing software development and DevOps to create magical panaceas for all sorts of development process ailments. Lately, he's been delving into clairvoyance by way of the Internet of Things, gathering information from far-off lands without even needing to be there. As many alchemists do, he swings between, level, between believing he's level 1 and level 20, depending on whether his latest potions succeed or fail. He writes prolifically on Ancient Scrolls, as well as Twitter, at jporsonalek, and on his blog, at jaredporsonalek.com. So, Jared, welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Cool. All right, so tell us about your side quest. What uh, what project have you been working on and, and all of that stuff? All right. So I've been searching for a way to better understand my noble steed from anywhere in the four corners of this ancient kingdom. It's a bronco with the power of more than 100 average horses. Specifically, it's a 1988 Ford Bronco too. He had been vexed with a spell that made it impossible to understand what his internal coolant temperature was. And so by mixing a temperature sensor, elixir, and strangely enough, a raspberry pi, I was able to achieve a sort of second sight into the inner workings of the beast. Now I'm able to read the temperature of the coolant from anywhere. And most importantly, it's accurate. That is important. Accuracy matters. <laughs> All right. Well, cool. So so how long have you been, been working on this, doing the, this project itself? Um, so I've been working on this for about six months and off and on so like nights weekends and if it were my if we were to say like hours wise maybe Mm -hmm. like 40 total hours like so it's been really spread out i haven't got to work (laughs) on it as much as i probably would like to but yeah okay cool so um throughout this process of the past uh you know six months uh what are the things that you learned uh specifically that you weren't expecting to learn right like what are the things that you know, were the complete unknown unknowns that, that just popped out of you or yeah. popped out at you. Yeah. So, I mean, I was, I was kind of vaguely aware of how hardware and like sensors are different. And I've used a lot of kits in the past, like measuring mm-hmm. temperature with, you know, little sensors that connect up to raspberry Pis and whatnot, but they've always been a part of a kit. And so there's always like a library to communicate with them. And, when I realized that I needed to read temperature inside of an engine coolant block that was going to be up to two or 300 degrees Fahrenheit, and I wanted it to be accurate, and I wanted it to be relatively fast reading because I don't want it to take an hour for it to update, and I wanted it to be waterproof and probably corrosion-proof. Of course, the coolant has anti-corrosive properties in it. But anyway, the point is, like, all these parameters made it so that my sensor options were limited. Like, I couldn't choose the sensors I've been using for prototyping because they weren't waterproof. And they certainly didn't go up to 200 degrees or 300 degrees accurately. So that was kind of like an unknown unknown for me is that I didn't realize that there's this big world of sensors out there for every... I mean, I think I kind of realized it vaguely, but, like, it became very real for me. Like, there's a big world of sensors out there to measure all sorts of things and they all have all sorts of parameters that are in the real world that a lot of people like just playing around don't really think about including me before i worked on this project 
Gotcha. Yeah. So there, so there's a market for everything, basically. Yeah, and it's huge. And every, you know, there's a choice of analog and digital sensors, and there's pros and cons of both. And when I got in that world, like I, I definitely felt overwhelmed as a software developer by trade, like trying to understand, you know, what I needed and what would work. But uh, I finally got to the point now where I have a sensor that works and it does meets all those parameters and it's reading temperature, you know, and everything like that. So I'm pretty happy. Cool. All right. That's awesome. So let's talk uh, tech stack, basically. So um, before that, what's what's your background in software development? Like what's the stuff that you have worked with a lot, what you're working with, you know, day to day, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then how does that relate to, I guess, the, the stack that you chose for the, the project itself? Sure. So I'm a, I'm a big believer in, if I'm learning new things, I try to learn, uh, like one or two things at a time, like not trying to eat the whole problem all at once. So the tech stack that I've been working in so far has been, um, in the real world in my job day to day. Like I started with the front end web development, you know, JavaScript, HTML, CSS, and I moved my way back throughout my career. So into C sharp development and then like, little bit of database stuff and so i wanted that you know c sharp net stack knowledge to transfer as much as i could to this project and so when i delved in um, i used uh, windows 10 iot core as an operating system and i used a uwp app which is microsoft's like windows store app platform to run within their operating system and I did that because I could write C-sharp and still communicate in a Raspberry Pi to the general purpose input-output pins, which are the pins that allow me to communicate to sensors and non-traditional interfaces. So you have a mouse and you have a keyboard on a regular computer and it hooks up to a USB input, but what if you want to read temperature? That's where you need something like GPIO, general purpose input-output. So communicating between that input and output to code that I write logic for, um, that's the stack I chose to make that happen. UWP app on top of Windows 10 IoT Core inside of Raspberry Pi, talking to sensors through GPIO. And there's cool libraries with that are available in that are available in NuGet, the NuGet.org um, package feed that allow me to communicate to Raspberry Pi's GPIO pins. Um, and it's just like if you're interacting with anything else, it's through a library and you can just dot into, you know, whatever pin and read and write and all that stuff. And then people on top of that write libraries that abstract it even further and say, like, I'm on temperature from a sensor. I used a hardware step, um, a little piece of hardware for prototyping called the seed grove, um, IOT starter kit or something like that. Mm -hmm. And seed is a company that makes hardware. Grove is their series of um, products that all work together with each other, and they have like plug-and-play functionality. So there's a hat, and you can think about a hardware as a hat is exactly what it sounds like. You stick it on top of other things. So Raspberry Pi, in my prototype, was wearing a hat, and the hat sticks on top of the Raspberry Pi and communicates to it what the hat, what the hat from uh, Seed allowed me to do was plug-and-play sensors. And they also had a software library that allowed me to dot into those sensors in C sharp. So I can say, you know, blah, 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 dot temperature, and I can get the temperature of that sensor. 
And so that was really great for prototyping. And then once I realized, you know, how all that stack worked and everything like that, that's when I moved over to trying to read from a real sensor. And that's where all my major troubles in this project started. But yeah. <laughs> well, so, so the hat concept. So I, I think yeah. I've seen this before. Like I've seen them specifically on, on Arduinos. Sure. And it's, um, it's just some other thing that plugs into the, the main board. So like on the Raspberry Pi, it, it has the same pins that, uh, and as I say this, I'm looking over at my Raspberry Pi. <laughs> um, it just just plugs into those same pins, and it's it just kind of makes it easier to do something else that way. Is yeah, that, that basically what it is. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Like if we were to use the human idea, if if you had pins, literal physical pins sticking out of your brain, and you wore a hat that gave you extra capabilities that you didn't have before, you know, that's kind of a similar concept. Like instead of a human with pins sticking out of their brain, it's a Raspberry Pi with literal physical <laughs> pins sticking out, and then the hat goes on top of the Raspberry Pi and plugs into those pins and gives it extra capabilities. And what those capabilities are depends on the hat, you know, which is really just a board, you know, PCB green board with circuits running around on it. And many people make many different types of hats for many purposes. In my case, it was plugging and playing for prototype. Gotcha. Cool. <laughs> All right. Um, so you said your, uh, your issues kind of stemmed yeah. from, uh, from, you know, once you reach that point. So what, uh, what kind of issues are you having right now? Well, right now, uh, I need to figure out, so there's a gap between that point and now. Uh, so the issues I ran into and kind of overcame were like, like I was saying before, trying to find a sensor that actually worked for my real world problem and then figuring out how to get that sensor to communicate to my stack of technologies I chose. And Basically, there's all these different protocols. You know how in web development there's HTTP, and you know HTTP, <laughs> and I know HTTP, and many developers know HTTP. In the world of sensors, there's more like six or seven common protocols, and then hundreds of other very uncommon protocols. And so there's this long tail of communication protocols. The sensor that I got that fit the bill on what I needed physically of like, being able to go into an engine block over the temperature and fit all that criteria happened to communicate over something called uh, one wire. And one wire is pretty cool in that you can have multiple sensors on one wire and you can communicate to those multiple sensors and get readings from those multiple sensors via one wire. That's the name. The problem is, is that the way that that works, um, there's no driver in Windows to support that. And so the stack I chose fundamentally didn't communicate with that protocol unless I used some like hacky workarounds. So I kind of had to re-examine how I was doing the whole project based on that. And I realized that there are people who make little pieces of hardware that sit between that sensor and the, and the wires that come off of it and a Raspberry Pi. And it translates that protocol, one wire, into I2C. And I2C... Couldn't tell you what it stands for. All I know is I can communicate from a Raspberry Pi running Windows 10 IoT Core to that. So now uh, I bought the hardware and everything like that and plugged it all up. And um, then I realized a whole other problem, which is I kind of got the sense that Windows 10 IoT Core isn't, isn't being given a lot of love right now by the IoT community, by the dev community. Like it's kind of being ignored by, by them. And I'm like, well, okay, I want to use something that people are going to use. So I switched over to using, uh, 
Azure IoT Edge, which runs on top of many different operating systems, but on the Raspberry Pi, it does not run on top of Windows 10 Anti-Core. It runs on top, it can run on top of Linux though. So I got Raspbian, which is a special operating system for Raspberry Pi that is a flavor of Linux. So now, now after all of that, I, right now I have <laughs> Raspbian, the operating system, running on top of my Raspberry Pi with Windows, or sorry, Azure IoT Edge running on top of that. And currently my, my issue is I need to write something to put in Azure IoT Edge that can communicate to either I2C or now that I'm running Linux, I can communicate to OneWire or communicate to OneWire directly. So yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> this is the real world. You know, that's what's crazy is that, you know, like once you go beyond the cool hat that has plug and play sensors, like it gets real out there. So yeah, that's what I'm running into. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> so, so you, you basically, you know, you, you've gone so far and you realize, okay, it can, it can only really get so far with, with the tech stack right now. You, you kind of wanted to make it either uh, you, you ended up making it with the uh, different technologies or at least you're part of the way through rewriting it. Yeah. But part of that was, um, I don't want to say a limitation on the windows 10 IOT side of things, but it's yeah. more of a, you, you also wanted to play around with the other technologies, right? So on the bright side, that's something we can do with our side quests, right? We're not being paid for it. So can, right. can definitely uh, spend that time learning the other tech. So, um, you know, so one of the reasons I wanted to do like an interview style show is, because I wanted to be able to ask people questions that things that I'm still trying to learn. So I'm going to go ahead and take full advantage of that right now. And hey, I don't know if you know the answers to these, but uh, hey, maybe you do. Um, so of my reading on the Azure IoT Edge sort of stuff, uh, you're saying that on your Raspberry Pi, you're, so that is uh, running, the, the hardware itself is running Raspbian. And then when you install the Azure IoT Edge stuff on it, how exactly is that running? That's in a that's in like a Docker container essentially, and and that has its own uh, system that's running for that. Or, or, or ex I mean, I guess how how is that architecture? If I were to just kind of assume the abstraction, like what what exactly yeah. do you have to do to set that up? I guess. So, um, in, I knew a lot more about version one of the Azure IoT Edge, I wrote a few articles about it, and then they went to version 2.0. So I can't tell you everything about how it works in version 2.0, but I can say, and that's when they made the switch to containers. But they're running containers on top of uh, Azure IoT Edge. So Azure IoT Edge itself, I don't know if it's a container, I don't know if it's Docker, all I know is I went in the command line and wrote, you know, sudo apt-get install, you know, IoT Edge. Or I don't know what the command is. If it's even remotely close to that, I'm very proud of myself because I don't know Linux very well. <laughs> but uh, basically, you know, go on the command line, you say, I want to install Azure IoT Edge. Great. And then you change a configuration file, basically, and you say, hey, I'm going to point my Azure IoT Edge to this container registry, and that container registry, which is basically a list of containers, I want to get all the containers from there. All those containers are set up in your Azure IoT Edge via configuration to communicate with one another. Over, you can think of it like communicating over a bus. That's how it worked in version one. I don't know if there's, they technically call it a bus in version two. But basically, if you and I were a container, I would say to the wild, to the outer air, I'd say, hey, how's it going? And anybody who's listening can hear, hey, how's it going? And then they can choose to do what they want with it. So if you 
wanted to send that message to Azure Cloud, you could. If you wanted to log it to a file, you could. If you wanted to do some artificial intelligence on it and figure out if uh, I was speaking English or not, you could. So all these containers are communicating with each other on top of the IoT Edge runtime. And, and what's really cool about that is that I could write a container in C Sharp. You could write a container in Python or JavaScript, and they can all communicate with each other. So it makes it really easy for um, me to get containers that other people have built, and they can write them in anything, and it runs on top of the IoT Edge runtime. And so I don't know necessarily how they built the IoT Edge runtime. I just know what I can build on top of it. And I'm definitely looking into, into getting more knowledge about the IoT Edge runtime because it's very interesting. Like they're, they're allowing the ability for you to add containers to your Azure IoT Edge runtime that can do um, machine learning and stuff like that and stuff that you build in the cloud and bring to the edge. So functions, machine learning, um, they have a few other ones that Azure has in the cloud that you can run at the edge, which is the whole the whole thing, <laughs> the whole idea, I guess. Gotcha. All right, that sounds really cool. So, like the, I guess, I mean, on on my part, one of the biggest things that you said was in order to get that set up and and running, it's just using apt-get to install it, and you're pretty much good to go as far as that. That sounds super easy. Yeah, and they have really great documentation. Like, it's a company that makes billions of dollars every year. If they can't figure out how to get the documentation right, you know, what chance do we have? You know, so. <laughs> It's really lightweight, runs on many different operating systems. You can update it really easily because if you publish something to a container registry, it'll automatically get it from it and update itself, which is really the part that's super interesting to me because IoT historically has not made it easy to be updated. <laughs> so devices that update themselves and automatically ask to be updated is really enticing. So that's the part that I'm especially happy about. I was finding with the UWP app running on Windows 10 IoT Core is extremely painful and slow to update because I had to submit to the App Store to update my, my device. And they look at every submission to the App Store and approve it. And so in DevOps, which is something I'm a big proponent of, there's a philosophy of being able to update rapidly and get feedback rapidly. It's all about feedback loops and being able to learn from your mistakes and make changes. And when you submit to the app store and you have to twiddle your thumbs for six hours or up to 24 hours, that's a slow feedback loop in 2019. So I want to be able to publish my device 50 times a day if I want to and be able to know if it worked or not. So that's what Azure IoT Edge also helps with. Gotcha. Okay. So you've got that uh, kind of that double-edged sword in a, in a, to a degree, I guess, with the, on the IoT, uh, the, yeah, sorry, on the Windows 10 IoT side of things, um, you know, Microsoft is trying to protect themselves to make sure that the uh, the application has whatever kind of safety requirements, you know, things like that that they've set. But at the same time, it takes a lot longer. And so you have a lot more control with the Azure IoT Edge yeah. stuff, right? Okay. I found in IoT in general, like, and everything, in software development in general, like, the more you buy into an abstraction, the less control you have. And so... The Windows Store makes it extremely easy to not worry about how it works. You just shove it in there and it works. And so with Azure IoT Edge, like you said, I had to apt get in my console to get Azure IoT Edge. In production, that's probably not how you do it, but I have full control over whether that works or not, and I also have full responsibility. So I'm buying control 
am paying by being more responsible for what I'm in charge of. Gotcha. All right, cool. Uh, so with that, um, we're pretty much uh, at the end right here. So what's what's next for you, for uh, you working on the project, the project itself, you know, yeah. all that stuff? So I said at the beginning, like, I had this working, and as you, you know, that was a very, uh, you know, pie-in-the-sky thing for me to write about a week ago. Um, I want this thing to work. I'm very excited to get it to work, and I think in the next week or so, that finally I'm going to have data being sent to the cloud that's actually being read from my Bronco. So that's what's next is I got to like actually not feel my imposter syndrome setting in and, and actually get the thing that I set out to do, do, do what I set out to do. <laughs> gotcha. Cool. Well, I mean, we're all imposters, right? Sure. Yeah. At the end of the day, we all feel like we are. All right, cool. So, um, what, anything you want to plug, anything coming up, et cetera? Um, yeah. Um, so, you know, I, if you want to follow me on Twitter at Jay Porsonalic, find me on LinkedIn, um, Jared Porsonalic. If you do things that are similar to what I do and you're interested in talking about it, I'm more than happy to do that. And the company I work for, Nebia Technology, is a really great company. We um, really believe in helping people improve their process and software delivery. So if, that's, if, it, if software delivery feels uh, slow and cumbersome, and you think there might be a better way, I can guarantee you there is. And feel free to reach out to us. And that includes IoT. So, yeah. Okay, great. Uh, so we'll have uh, links to every place that uh, Jared just mentioned inside of the show notes. So we'll have all of that stuff. And uh, great. Well, then in that case, I guess we'll go ahead and close on out. So that's all the time we have today. This was uh, a chat with Jared Porcinellic. Uh I wish you luck in... Uh, your future quests and hope to at least have you back uh, sometime in the future. Maybe you can talk about uh, how everything has gone with the Ford Bronco project. So until next time, everyone, please do me a favor. Follow the show on Twitter. We are at DevSideQuests. Uh, and if you want to go ahead and rate the show, wherever it is you uh, rate podcasts, please, uh, that would be great. I would uh, appreciate that forever. Uh, and until then, all feedback is welcome. So please tell uh, your friends, family, enemies, and other NPCs, you know, about the show. Till then, go work on a quest. <laughs>